Hi, my name is Armand Kunja, and my podcast is talking about indigenous traditions, celebrations, seasonal traditions, and family tradition. Over the years, more and more indigenous celebrations and traditions are being celebrated all throughout the world. Indigenous communities share a lot of rituals, traditions, and ceremonies. All these have a significant purpose and history connected to them, usually including natural processes and are connected to land. Here are some of the traditions I found. Smudging. Smudging is the most common ritual that is done by burning holy herbs in a shell or earth bowl. Its purpose is to cleanse people and places before weddings or powwows. The pipe ceremony. The pipe ceremony is the most powerful ritual done by indigenous people. The pipe symbolizes togetherness of the world. The bowl symbolizes truth and the stem symbolizes harmony. The sweat lodge ceremony. The sweat lodge ceremony focuses on all parts of the body, mind, spirit, and heart. During this tradition, all these components are restored and cleansed. Seasonal Harvest Fest Indigenous people celebrate harvest by taking by a field or forest each year. This tradition includes prayers, chants, and dances like American Thanksgiving. The Sun Dances This is celebrated by people in the grassland areas of Canada. It is usually celebrated in June or July depending on when the full moon is. A full four days before they start fasting to cleanse themselves. And the final stage of the sun involves a piercing of a body representing a new quest. A hand drum ceremony. Some ceremonies in First Nations communities include traditional hand drum, which includes making, birthing, awakening, and feasting. A hand drum. This ceremony is a way for communities to get together without any government power at all. Naming ceremonies. In some Inuit communities, the naming ceremony takes place when a newborn arrives. Usually, the soul manifests in a certain way, allowing physical and personality traits. Storytelling. Storytelling is a big tradition that is passed on from generation to generation. These stories have no real beginning, middle, or end. It just keeps going. But there are not myths about this, as they have a real message or meaning to them. These stories always have been teaching young people or old people valuable lessons about the universe or life itself. Potlatch Ceremony The potlatch ceremony is ways to communicate among tribe and dispute power and wealthy fare. Throughout the tribe, it gave a certain rights like names, power, and territories. National Indigenous Peoples Day National Indigenous Peoples Day is a celebration that involves displays, art, and culture, performances, and activities. It is a holiday in which Northwest Territories since 2001 usually powwows and indigenous games embrace their skill like using a bone and arrow. In conclusion of all of this, all these celebrations and traditions make an indigenous people unique and different from each other. They have good shape, their physical traits as well as their personality too. As non-indigenous people, we can learn to join these celebrations and ceremonies and 
get a global experience for everyone. Over a couple of years, we have recently discovered dark truths about residential schools. We've been talking about this mostly in class, more in detail about how their culture and religion was forcefully taken from them to bring culture and tradition back. We must share and discuss to try to fix these mistakes in our history. Now we know how to not to treat anyone differently, even if they're First Nations or any other color. The government has learned their lessons and never to do it again. Now, we're going to stop talking about this for a sponsorship by Nike, releasing a brand new Air Forces for only $150. And this deal only lasts for a week and you can order it online for only 25% discount. And this was my podcast talking about indigenous people and traditions, celebration and seasonal traditions and also family traditions. Thank you for listening. Hi, and welcome to the True Pri- True Mystery Podcast. My name is Armand Kundra, and I'm your host today. <coughs> um, in today's case, we're going to look at the gruesome killers in Scarborough, Ontario, named Paul Bernardo and Carla uh, Alcomo, I think that's how you pronounce her name. Um, they're known as the Ken and Barbie killers. Um, why are they called Ken and Barbie killers? Because they were a very good-looking couple, and no one would really think um, they would commit any murders or any crimes at all. Um, like I said, they were both uh, very charming. Um, Paul and Carla's first um, ever murder was on June 19, 1991. Um, and the first victim was actually Carla's sister, believe it or not. Um, Paul became very obsessed with the 14-year-old girl and would spy on the teen while she slept. And Carla helped her boyfriend by breaking the windows to the teen's room and giving him an easier access. Paul raped and murdered Tammy and buried her body um, near a graveyard near their house. And so it's already very, very gross and like gruesome, right? But now we're going to look at um, how they would um, plan their um, attacks and lure girls in um, to their car. And so one day in Holy Cross Secondary School, they dismissed the students at three o'clock and the students were walking home and Paul and Carla were driving around in a gold colored Nissan searching for a victim. And then they saw her, her, a 15 year old Christian French walking through the church parking lot to get to her house. She was wearing her school uniform and a Mickey Mouse watch on her wrist. Carla, Paul and Carla were both in their early 20s. Carla got out of the car and asked Christian for directions and the 15 year old came willingly to help. She was a helpful person. That's when Paul later uh, came up behind her and put a knife near her throat. 
they would force her into the front seat and Carla sat behind her pulling her hair like a rope to keep her in the car so they can go to Parla, uh, Paul and Carla's house. It was April 16th, 1992, the day before Good Friday. So the students would have a day off that day on Good Friday. And so the next three days, Paul and Carla would rape um, and torture uh, Christian French. And they would also videotape everything that happened. And on Easter Sunday, they killed her and washed her body and cut all of her hair off so she couldn't be identified easily but I really don't think in my opinion they would even be worrying about getting caught or anything because they left her in a ditch 25 minutes away from their house and it was a few minutes away from where they buried Tammy's body as well so in my opinion I don't think they were scared to get caught for some reason and Tammy's, uh, uh, sorry, uh, Carla and Paul went to Carla's parents' house for Easter dinner. And Christian's body was discovered on April 30th. The police found one of her shoes, a lock of her hair, uh, and a ripped map of Scarborough in ch- the church parking lot. And the starting of the police's investigation, um, they found plenty of witnesses, plenty of students, students uh, saying they remember uh, two people forcing French in their cream-colored Camaro. And the police informed everyone to look out for this car. But what the police should have been looking for was Paul's gold Nissan car. Because it was a gold Nissan that she got um, kidnapped with. And after taking Christian uh, French, Paul went out for pizza that day. The day uh, Christian French went missing and they caught, like they kidnapped her. And he was stalking a potential next victim. He was stalking her for a month and before she noticed him and got his license plate number and told the police about it right away. The stalker, but the police didn't do anything with that information at all. And two weeks later, when Christian French uh, died and they found her body and it was released to the public, like uh, her dying, she said, I seen him again and told them about the car he was driving. He was and the license plate number again. She took a picture of it. But they still didn't follow up on the report because, as I said in the beginning, they were a good-looking couple and the police, would they think they were just going to waste their time and the kids don't know anything. Um, I want to talk about when Paul and Carla first, got, first um, met each other and from there. So... Paul and Carla met at um, a restaurant. They first saw each other at a restaurant. Um, Paul was with his friends and Carla was with hers. Paul went up to Carla and from there, they kept talking on messages um, like normal teens do. And after a couple of years when this happened, they got married on June 19th 
1991. But apparently, they were killing some people before then. Um, we don't know what age they started really killing at. Um, but they started killing before their marriage. And I feel like they were planning it for a very long time. Uh, now, let's talk about uh, things that really stuck out to me with uh, Carla. Um, this was really interesting, which I'm going to share, which I found out. Um, she usually hung out around the opposite sex. This, this information is around her teenage, so she usually hung out with the opposite sex. Her first boyfriend was, uh, his name was Doug. And she admitted that the couple experimented with lots of drugs and had lots of lots of sexual relations together. She also admitted that fantasizing about death. So Doug told the police uh, police this. She fantasizing about death and what it would feel like. Her fantasizing over death would lead her to cutting herself with a knife. And because of this, months later, and becoming more and more unstable, Doug left her. And, but she got a job um, two weeks after at a part-time veterinary clinic while she was in high school. Probably not the best uh, place for her to work. Um, But after graduating in 1988, she was hired by a veterinary clinic as a full-time veterinary technician. Impressively, um, Carla has an above-average intelligence, testing between 131 and 134 on an IQ test. The standard for more near-geniuses is more than 140, and she was almost achieving that status, so that's really impressive um, by Carla. Carla did obtain a bachelor's degree in uh, physiology from Queen's University, so she was smart... uh, with her degree and she was gonna do masters but it didn't really fit her boat and now look at let's look at paul's uh background with education and stuff um paul graduated in sir wilfred lower college and he worked as a salesperson with his friends his friend got him the job and it had a deep effect on him for some reason he bought books and tapes of famous motivational get rich and famous experts stuff and Bernardo uh, Paul Bernardo and his friends practiced their techniques on women with something um, they were, uh, they met in bars and they were really successful and by the time uh, Paul attended University of Toronto um, he had developed a really, uh, he developed a sexual f- fantasies. He enjoyed hum- uh, humiliating hum- a woman in public and beating up the woman he dated um, and found something very interesting. I found something very interesting about Paul's dad. So Paul's dad, Kenneth Bernardo, would beat his children, including Paul and his sister. I think, like, Paul 
grew up from this trauma he had and is releasing all the anger he has right now um on the 15 year old girls on the teenage girls but it's not right to do so um but um after everything that happened all the killings um Paul was caught um on in 1993 February 17th the police found videotapes at his house as evidence and shortly after that um they caught Carla Paul is still in jail, uh, jail and surprisingly Carla got released in 2005 um I was very surprised when I heard this because I mean they should both be serving the lifetime um but they like in 2005 there was lots of protests going on but in my opinion I feel like she should be in jail because of she had massive part in it with her sister and stuff killing her own sister letting her own sister die um I want to know what do you guys think next time on the mystery podcast <laughs>